gentlemen, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Dat, and I am your host. We are here at Studio 54 in Midtown Manhattan with producer Kyle, audio engineer Joey, and today we are joined by multimedia personality Craig Hoffman, who has been all around this crazy sports world with ESPN Radio in Dallas and D.C., and hosts the Hoffman Show Sports and Entertainment podcast. Craig, welcome to our humble abode. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Studio 54, that just sounds big and... And and sounds right for exactly what we're doing, right? Yeah. So today we're going to talk about an interesting situation the Mets found themselves in, why everyone hates LeBron James because I can't really seem to figure it out, and Derrick Rose joining the Knicks because that was a huge story that happened yesterday. I've got a few things to say to Knicks fans. I don't think they're going to like it, but I'm going to say them anyway. But first I want to talk about football which has become kind of a a big thing recently with Euro Cup going on in Europe and Copa America going on here. I just got back from a river cruise that went down the Rhine River, which separates France from Germany. And we were docked in Germany when Germany-Poland was going on, the the match Germany-Poland. And so we watched with a bunch of Germans, and it was super cool because I was reminded that there's nothing like soccer in the United States. We don't have anything close to it. The closest thing I would say is college football in the South. That's okay. The, that's the closest thing. We're like in parts of uh, like Baton Rouge or, or Tuscaloosa or Gainesville, these college football SEC towns, specifically in the SEC, it is like religion. That is the only thing we have close, and still then, I don't think it quite reaches that level. Well, of course, because it's their only sport, soccer, yep. football. We're going to call it soccer for this podcast because well, I am an American. Right. I'm we're, a goddamn American, American, you know? We already have a game <laughs> called football, and it's pretty good, and that's I right. say this as a diehard soccer fan. That's right. And it's also based on patriotism, so with everyone pulling in the same direction, that makes it really unique. Plus, it's in their blood. It's been passed down by generations. So it just made me really jealous to watch these guys get super amped up and watch these crowds gather to watch soccer and to realize that we're people are trying to make soccer happen in the U.S., but I don't think they're going to be able to make it happen. We've got so many other things and more sports priorities ahead of soccer. Is it ever going to be able to, to make it here in the States? Depends on what your definition is of make it. Right. It's already made it in a lot of ways. Like it, Its popularity has grown exponentially over the past 15 years or so. But is it ever going to be what it is in the re- to the rest of the world? No, but that's okay. Like it can it can be. There's enough room in our American sports landscape for more than one thing. There are people who are going to watch a ton of American football, a ton of people that are going to watch a ton of basketball, and some might be more into soccer, some might be more into baseball, some more, might be more into hockey. Fifty years ago, it was horse racing and boxing. Like things change, the the levels of everything changes. But I think if like I, I think if you go, oh, soccer, nobody cares about soccer you are completely ignoring the reality of how much the sport has already grown. Right. Well, I was in Spain. I was actually in Madrid for when Madrid took on Barcelona and they won La Liga Mm -hmm. in 2007. And it was an amazing experience to watch everyone gather in this huge plaza and everyone pulling for the same thing. And there were thousands and thousands of people. And to me, I don't feel like I'm ever going to get that in my sports world my sports you know life because there's nothing that's going to be like that and that makes me really sad and disappointed for for us as sports fans i don't i mean i'm trying to think of what when do people gather for sporting events right like uh, it's a canadian example but the raptors have the really cool like outside their arena for the playoff games jurassic park like people gather outside um i think what's interesting though is like during the last world cup 
a lot plenty of places all around the country had viewing parties so and and for i think a lot of us the closest thing we've ever gotten to is actually supporting our international soccer team you know that that passion of country as opposed to any you know given sport i also i mean i don't know the thing is i don't know what the coverage is like over there right so i think like part of it is like we as american sports fans are so into the transactions and so into a lot of the gossip surrounding the games where i feel like over there they are so much more about the actual games themselves which obviously makes it the games themselves much bigger events that people care a lot more about we're such a capitalist society that we care more about the money that's changing hands it's than insane. what the actual guys are doing uh, the, the yeah. money though changing hand in club soccer now we're getting out of international is absurd i'm not talking about club soccer right. i don't you, give a shit about club soccer but that's that's Fuck how you soccer. get that's how you get into the sport though right like if you want americans to really no, get, you into, get it, into it by being whatever nationality no, you are and rooting for your national the, team there's not enough tournaments for the that pro- that's why there's not enough watching the u.s play because it's so limited compared to club soccer club soccer is every year there's big well, tournaments that's what I'm throughout saying, the and that's thing. why we'll never actually be soccer fans well but you're not going to get no national team plays that often throughout any given year where there's a big enough tournament to care about the euros every four years and then the world cup is also every four years and they alternate on two year like 2016 2018 and then they go back and forth so but don't they play in friendlies and stuff they yeah, play enough no, no, one, no one cares about friendlies no one cares about friendlies in the raw like you're not going to get the best players right. in your friendlies the, unless you're ramping up for a big tournament and so no matter so these guys on these national teams then break up and go play club soccer right. and that's where they and, go root for them but you're rooting for a bunch of different clubs if you guys well, are on different teams but that's that's why you fall in love with a club and then you have your but national that's the pride. Same thing, though, you have your as, national pride. But that's the same thing as rooting for a team here. There's no difference. You have one guy that you really like. Sure. He happens to be something somebody that draws you in somehow, and so you root for that team. Yeah, you find you find the one thing that draws you into a team, and that's why you like the teams you like. If you look at when we go back to SNY, we have a number of soccer fans, and you can ask them why they love the clubs that they love. And the reasons are irrational and make no damn sense. But that's the team they support. I love Manchester United and have since 2008, and I've played soccer since I was a kid. I just, I can't precisely tell you why. I think it's mostly down to, at the time, the manager, Sir Alex Ferguson. I loved the energy he brought as a 70-year-old man on the sideline, just losing his shit. I just, I was drawn into it. That's what grabbed me to that team. Other people are crazy about their teams for completely other irrational reasons. And then you go back to your international team when it comes time for it. So I root for the USA, I get yay during the World Cup, but the level of soccer compared to club and international... What about Mexico? Do you root for Mexico? I do. I, but not you know, as hard as US. Mm, it depends. I kind of root a little bit harder for Mexico because I know Mexican. they're good. I say, do you have Mexican descent? I do. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> I, do. I, I root for them a little bit harder just because I know they're good and I might actually enjoy watching them play. When I root for the US, it's, yeah, I'm American and it's a bit reluctant, but they're so not very good. Right. It yeah. bothers me. Um, the other thing, too, there is a very rational explanation for why in club soccer in Europe a lot of fans are invested, and it's that they are literally invested. I was talking to um, one of my best friends from high school is about to be married to a guy who's from Germany, and he was talking about Bayern, which is his club, and his family literally has an ownership stake in Bayern. That's like that's how those clubs work. There is a literal, like, you are part owner. So it's like the Green Bay Packers, except right. for... That's how a lot of the clubs are in different parts of the world. Um, I think in England, a lot of them are owned by rich guys. Yeah, um, Manchester United is a publicly traded company on the stock exchange. So, so yeah, bit. so there, there could be some, you know, one rich guy who owns a lot of it, but 
there's also another portion of the club that is for sale. So you have to say like you are a member of like, we, you know, we say we as fans and then the media is always like, oh, what do you mean we? You know, like you're no, you didn't play. Well, in Europe, a lot of fans actually are we because they have some small ownership stake and they get some certificate that says like you are a member of Barcelona FC or Bayern Munich or Manchester United. And so well, that definitely changes the yeah, entire thing. It changes You've the got equation. money in it. Yeah, right. That's and a, it might not be significant, but they're like you are a member of a club. Like that's why they call them clubs. It's not the professional organization. It's a club because it is something you can become a part of. Well, that changes a lot, and I think that if we had that here, yeah, like you said, with the Packers, we, a lot of people would change their investment interest. But you've gotten into the international, especially this month. You've had fun watching matches and stuff like that, right? Well, absolutely, especially because the first day that we were docked there, we were docked literally on the river that separates the two countries, and there was a bridge. And so there were these Frenchmen who walked across the bridge into Germany to watch a, a to watch France play, I don't know who they were playing, but there were Germans who were watching with the Frenchmen, and they were all sitting around watching France together, and then when Germany played the next day, the the Germans were like, no, 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 we're doing this on our own. Screw you guys. <laughs> so you could tell the difference between how these guys interacted and, and how, you know, if you're French, you're much more accommodating and willing to to work with other, you know, groups, at least, at least where I was in this specific small town of Kell, and you're willing to watch with other people of different, you know, different country. It, but the Germans were like, no, absolutely not. We are doing this completely on our own. Screw off, French. So it was, it was interesting. Screw off French is actually the German motto. Yeah. It has been for a long time. <laughs> right. I don't think there's a better environment, though, in all of sports. Yeah. Uh, just even when, if, even if you're not at a game, just go, so go to a pub and watch international club. It doesn't matter. The supporters will sing for the entire match. Yeah. I mean, yesterday, Italy, Ireland... The Irish fans were out in mass in that stadium. Not only did they sing the Irish national anthem, they then sang the Italian national anthem. And the commentators just stopped and pointed the microphones out and were like, just listen to this noise. And the Irish fans, I mean, they've been the talk of the Euro for the entire month so far. They're awesome. Yeah. They don't stop singing. They sing on the subway. They sing in the streets. And they're not. They're totally respectful, at least everything we've seen so far, of them to the entire just host nation of France. It's just wonderful to watch. Well, it's and like they, the Pledge of Allegiance, yeah. your national anthem. You've learned it since you were a kid. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows every word and every beat. But they know so the Italian whole... national anthem, too. It was pretty remarkable. Well, of course, because yeah. if they've played them several times or if they've been in stadiums or followed the teams or, you know, watched well, international soccer. they're just a hell of a lot more cultured than we are. Yeah, that, that might be totally. true. Totally. But yeah. it's, it's one of the greatest environments in all of sports. You you know, I've been to Giants games and Mets games, and those fans aren't singing the entire time. These, yeah soccer fans are and it's just they make up songs while they're there they have the songs that they generally sing and then they'll sing just like prideful national anthems the entire time it's a wonderful environment that i wish more people would just get into because you'll you'll love it i think for us to hear it's and i i know this is true for me it's also when it falls on the sports calendar like if Euros were happening in the fall, yeah, I probably tough. wouldn't be watching as much. Right. Because it's, all right, we're finally we're at the NBA Finals, so there's a game every two or three days. Like, I've got time to kill to watch these these matches or Copa at night. Um, and when the World Cup happened a couple of years ago, and I, I was like, you know what? I enjoyed this game too much not to watch more of it. Right. And so I, I tried to get into EPL, and I did right up until the point where the NFL started, and then I didn't have any more time. Or I, I kind of waned off. And then the NBA season started, and by mid, mid-year, of the EPL, I'm out because I just I don't have the mental space yeah. to actually 
keep up with well, another league. Well, there's so league. many teams. There's a lot going on. Right. And, well, the fact that it's in the summer really helps because you right. can be outside with a big group of people, which is how you're supposed to watch soccer, honestly. You're not supposed to watch it like a football game with like you and your buddy on a couch, which you can do watching football. I don't think you can do that watching soccer. You can. But if you're trying to get more into soccer, it helps to be able to... The atmosphere definitely helps. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's something where... Except for you, you loser. Well, no. When I have to wake up at 7 a.m. to watch Manchester United yeah. Liverpool, I'd love to be at a bar surrounded by people of the same mind. With warm but weather, yeah. at 7 a.m., I'm waking up, rolling over, and turning the See, TV on. See, that's another thing, though. The time difference is huge. You have to be committed for yeah. Premier League and Germany and all that. You have to really be into it. But once you are, I don't think you'll have a bad time. You'll enjoy yourself. Moving on to another celebration, LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavs won the city's first championship in 52 years, coming back from a 3-1 deficit. That's never been done before in the finals. They pulled that off um, and they beat America's sweetheart, the Golden State Warriors. So to me, it just reminded me of why LeBron James is the best player in basketball, which you had written about on your blog, I saw. Yeah, he's, I think the, the post was LeBron James superhero. Yeah. A couple of days ago. He's, Which is great. He's, Steph Curry's been the best player in the league the last two years during the regular season. And it's okay to admit that. Because LeBron, at this point in his career, at 31, having played... Like, he's top 20 all-time in the NBA in minutes. And he's played, over the last decade, a season and a half more minutes than anybody else. Played in six straight finals. He plays a ton during the regular season. He's just accumulated that much mileage on his body. He's not going all out every night. And that's okay because he wants to be able to go all out in, say, games five, six, and seven of the NBA Finals where he drops three of the best games you'll ever see considering the circumstances. So, yeah, when he decides to go and he plays at the level that he does in the finals, he's still the best player on earth, and it's not even close. So after game seven, he stands with Doris Burke, who, by the way, I have a friend who isn't that into sports, but her husband is, so she ends up watching a lot of NBA basketball, and she's sitting next to him on the couch, and she's listening to Doris and all of her interviews, and so the last time I saw her, she was like, you know what? That Doris Burke, I really like her. And I was like, I know, she's really great. She's like, yeah, and, and her husband was like, do the impression, do the impression. And she was like... I'm Doris Burke. This is a pivotal moment for you in your career. So what? What is this? And she did like an um, a, an adorable Doris Burke impression. That's not a bad so, one out of you though. Either. It was, she was. So, I stole it from her. Best. Oh, she's the best. Yeah, and it's not even like spot on, but it's just like such a cute thing that she does. Anyway, so during that interview, LeBron says we not enough times apparently for the media. They had a field day with it, with his I I I statements. What do you feel like was wrong with him saying I, 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 if you feel like there was anything wrong with it? I mean, I think he, he certainly gave Kyrie his due and, and he would point to different. Apparently in the parade yesterday, he was going down the roster and said something nice about Sasha Khan. And 95% of America doesn't realize that Sasha Khan's on the Cavs roster because right. he, he's inactive for every game. Yeah. And that might have actually been too low of a percentage. <laughs> so the reality is, like, he's the engine that makes the team go. I was listening to... Um, Zach Lowe's podcast on the way up from DC here to New York. And um, he said that he was talking to David Griffin, their GM. And he said, really, we don't do much different than we did when we were the last team in the league. 23 is the difference. Right. He just makes everybody look smart. He is the reason that they are that. And you look at, you know, okay, well, he's, he's always uh, on the best team in the East. Yeah, he's on the best team in the East every year because he's on it. He is the reason that they're in that position. Yeah. And you look at what he did in games five, six, and seven. And also, he's also the undisputed leader of that team. Like they, I mean, guys like Richard Jefferson, who are wrapping up a 16 year career in the league, goes like, yeah, he leads, we follow. So when. Well, he when, was like, he made my career. Yeah. Like, that's the biggest understatement that's ever been made. Yeah. I mean, so 
he leads. He's by far the best player. He sets the tone for the entire franchise. I mean, we could go into nitty gritty detail. Just go go read any number of stories on how he made that entire franchise on the basketball operation more accountable. Yeah, it's him. Like, be mad if you want to that we haven't seen something like this in a long time. But it's him. Like, don't you're being mad at the truth. And to me, a lot of it has to do with the fact that he stood alone and he promised to bring a title back to Cleveland. I didn't see anyone else coming to the table saying, oh, yeah, we'll come along with that promise. We'll go ahead and ensure that with you. You know, Kevin Love didn't stand to the one side and Kyrie to the other and said, we are with you on this promise. We are all in it together to bring, you know, like they did when they all came out with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and said, you know, counted all the titles that they were going to bring to Miami. LeBron did that on his own. And yes, he wasn't inviting anyone else to make that promise with him, but nobody else stepped up to do it. And the thing is, you're going to make that promise. You should be allowed to say, I brought the promise here. Thank you. all (laughs) At the point of that letter, if Kevin and Kyrie had stood up with obviously Kevin was a month and a half from being traded because they weren't allowed to trade for him yet. Um, that's right, but, that's right. But if Kevin and Kyrie had stood up at the introductory press conference and be like, we're with you, LeBron. LeBron would have <laughs> went back and shut the fuck up and sit down <laughs> and wait for instruction. Because he, they didn't know. And that's part of it. Like, LeBron talked about has talked about how these guys weren't putting in extra work in the gym how and they they literally did not know what it takes to be a championship caliber team or individually a championship caliber player and so before this season he holds basically a mini camp in Miami and he was stunned and pleasantly surprised when he showed up and he was not the first one in the gym and there were six or seven Cavs players that were already there getting shots up and getting work in because he literally had to turn the whole focus of the franchise into what it and basically turn them into what the heat already were when he got there i think the analogy of lebron went to college with the heat yeah it's a perfect analogy perfect he needed to learn how to win he went down he took a lot of what pat riley did then said all right i'm kind of done with you and went back (laughs) to cleveland and and behold he delivered in just two years do you know why he gets to say i why disregard his game five and six with 41 points Game seven, one fifty-five on the clock. Who besides him is running down someone? Well, two steps in front of him to make a block in a tie game to literally save the season. Right. There's no one else. Only well, him. You let's get let's to say even I. ask this question because that's underselling. Like there are plenty of players in NBA history who might want to make that. Play. But on this team, who would else? Who else would have done that? It's not even that. Who else in NBA history is capable of making right. that play? Jordan. Sure. Exactly. Jordan? I, I don't know. With all due respect to all of the things that Michael Jordan could do, and he actually was a very good chase-down block artist, if, if that's the term we can use. Nobody has been as big, strong, powerful, athletic as LeBron James. And what is so impressive about LeBron James, and we're eventually building to the question of why does everyone hate him. Right. I What bothers me about the people that hate LeBron James is they completely underestimate the fact that he could have coasted to a borderline Hall of Fame career on his natural talent alone and wanted no part of that. Yeah. He wanted to be great. He has put in the work to be great. And that's why I really it really doesn't bother me when he reminds us that he is. Well, and especially because he's been through a lot emotionally too. Sure. I mean, physically and and he's put a lot of hard work in, but yes, he made the dumb decision to have the decision. That was stupid. Of course. How he, old was he then? Like 27. And he was poorly advised and it, you know, it was a mess and he had some input in it for sure and he was ultimately the guy who took all of the responsibility, but he had a, a camp around him that wasn't this the smartest at the time. He had an NBA executive write a letter 
shitting on him, completely yep. shitting on him to the entire city. And for him to have the the maturity to say, hey, listen, you know what? No worries. No worries, my dude. I'm coming back. I'm going to bring you a title. And that's that. Let's let bygones be bygones. That that maturity blows my mind. But it's also the maturity to know that he has Dan Gilbert by the balls. Of course. <laughs> and of let's course. let's like let's not complete let's not make LeBron out to be a saint. No. He is he is I think a, I most people that that are around him you know, all the stories that emanate out seem to be that he's a good dude. I mean, you see the work he does charities. He gives back to a lot of different kids. You know, his what he's done for the city of Akron is astounding. But he's a bit of a grudge holder. Sure. Like, the secret motivation that he's been referencing for two years, he finally told Dave McMenamin, is the fact that an executive, which we can pretty much with 99% certainty uh, agree is Pat Riley, told him, you're making the biggest mistake of your career. It sounds like a very Pat Riley thing to say. Of course, yeah. And... and <laughs> He held, he's held that against the the heat and and used that as motivation and against Riley and is like okay I'll show you you know he he knew in going back like look I, that letter that was bullshit and we're going to we're just going to put that aside now I don't know whether he forgiveness is the exact right terminology I've never talked to LeBron but you know he he certainly knew that he had the power and that. He, you know, he was the commodity. It's right. all about leverage. And so he knew that he could look at Dan Gilbert and be like, look, man, you're going to have to apologize. And and the thing is, though, apparently when you read the stories about when they met, LeBron apologized for how he handled things, too. Mm-hmm. So that is certainly a level sure, of maturity. Sure, I mean, it goes both ways. But, it, you know, it, there's a big difference in, in maturity and age where they were at that time. Sure. You know, you've got a, an exec who, you know, has been through a lot and, and knows way better. And, and LeBron just didn't know at that time. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question about LeBron that I want to ask somebody who, you know, has seen a lot of Michael Jordan play. And I don't know if that's you. I'm going to pretend that's you for now. Okay. And <laughs> I don't know if it's I'm the best person, but I, I've seen a well, little bit. And... So, well, here's my question. In terms of the culture around Michael Jordan when he played, because I was really young, did anyone hate Michael Jordan when he played? Oh, yeah. I mean, I... Because well, people hate him now because they, they know he's a bad guy or not a bad guy. They know he's not the best guy and he's kind of an care. asshole. I feel like they don't care. No, of course. But did they hate on him? Like, And we've had this conversation about how there are fans of teams that were, you know... Um, he crushed my childhood. Yeah, that were denied yeah. championships that hate him. Of he, course. He ruined Patrick but Ewing. But did, did everyone collectively... Has this been a, like a thing with Michael Jordan before or is this exclusive to LeBron? I think LeBron has it worse, and I think the decision is a huge part of that because I feel like LeBron was fairly beloved his first run through in Cleveland, and then it started to turn a little bit when it's like, oh my God, is he ever going to win? Like he's the self-pronounced king; he's got to win, and then he leaves, and, it's like, and then just avalanche of hate. Right? Um, I, I, I mean, this is more of some some memory because I mean I'm younger than you, so asking me. Uh, you know, not not by much, but I'm a little younger than you. So asking me, like, from memory, did people hate Michael? I, I do remember some of my friends. You know, I mean, we were obviously kids at the time that that did hate Michael, and I feel like there there definitely was as as I would get in, myself in sports conversations as a little kid and people that that hated him. But there was definitely, I think, the difference is the respect. Like everyone, even if you didn't like him, it was because he was the best, and you knew it. And that pissed you off. But I don't know that that was really a thing back then. I feel like everyone just loved Michael Jordan. Like, you were obsessed I mean, I feel with like Michael Jordan. Overwhel- Air Jordan was the thing. Yeah, I feel like an overwhelming number of people loved Michael. But, like, those that did even acknowledge that he was the best. 
Right. The thing with LeBron is like there are people who will tell you he's not good. Right. Those people are morons. Right. Like there's no other like he is. I was talking to someone the other day and, and they were like, he's one of the best 10 or maybe one of the best five. And I was like, he's one of the best two. Right. Um, I don't know what you do with the centers. That's really hard to evaluate a guy like Kareem. Like, what do you do with him? Because he was seven three. Right. Um, but if you take out centers, especially, and even if you keep them in, he's one of the two or three best players ever. To me, he's one of the best two. It's him and Michael. Right. He's that good. He's a four time MVP and a three time champion who has scored more points, rebounds, assists, whatever. Like he he could finish as the NBA's all time leading scorer, a top ten or so in rebounds, um, and and maybe even climb up into the top five or to the top of the assist list, depending on how long he plays. Uh, actually, no, that would probably be hard because Stockton played for like 20 years. So I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but like he played forever. Um, but he, I mean, he's going to be top 10 in all of those. Yeah. Um, and and approach the top five. And we never think of him as a, sco- as a scorer, and he could wind up being the NBA's all-time leading scorer. He is just a dominant force that we've never really seen. There have been players similar, p- players who have had, I would say, a similar impact on the game. But there's no one that's ever played... NBA basketball, especially in a modern era, like post-1970, when the league has expanded and the talent has grown, that has had more of an impact or had the ability to have more of an impact on a single game than him. Where do you think LeBron goes from here? Because... You know, do you think he stays in Cleveland? He says he's going to stay in Cleveland. Like, he can't leave again. Can he, though? He did do something that no one has done for that city in a very long time. Like, I mean, I guess he he could. To be honest, he's, like, untouchable. He can do whatever he wants now. But, like... He's fulfilled all of his promises. It's a new, fresh page. Yeah, I mean... What if he goes and tries to help out some of his buddies, you know? Well, like, he could yeah. do the buddy tour, but the thing is, LeBron's a huge student of the game, and I think he realizes that if you can kind of be identified with one or two teams, I feel like that helps your legacy, and I think that's something, as much as he doesn't want to admit it, he cares about. Like he, I mean, he, he does admit it on occasion, right? We hear right. him say, like, I want to be one of the best players to ever play this game. Right. You, you can't do that. You can't say that and not be conscious of what other people think of, of you. And so I have a hard time seeing him finishing his career on the buddy tour. Um, I mean, if he did it, it would, he would probably have to go back to Miami or out to L.A., um, LA would be huge. Oh my god, I would love to see him in a Lakers jersey. That would, would be so be, badass. I think it would just go to the Clippers and play with Chris Paul. But at this point, if you're LeBron and and you love, why would he Northeast go to the Lakers though? Why how, how would many, he go to the Lakers? How many pieces do they have? Like, are they in a situation where they could realistically win with like, LeBron? If he leaves, next he's going year? to sure. play. If he no, leaves, maybe not next year. Yeah, that's the problem. That, not that's next what I'm year. Like, yeah, they're in a position where maybe come to New York. T- yes, I love it. Where maybe in two years the Lakers could, you know, with another draft pick and uh, some free agent signings, but they're not in a position where if LeBron shows up, you're going Lakers championship. Well, I mean, they're in the picture because he's there, but. The thing is, like, if you want to add to your legacy, New York actually, I think, is the most interesting I'd be play. So happy. Because so crazy. Like, the Lakers have a ton of titles, right? You're just another one in the long list. If you come and do it in New York, oh god, then break another streak. <laughs> Rose, Mello, Porzingis, LeBron, let's go. Rose, I love Rose the sound of it. Be All right, well, let's get into that. Freaking Knicks fans are the luckiest bunch of bandwagon fans I've seen in a long wow. time. Wow. Yeah. Right. Totally. Some of us have uh, suffered Knicks, for a long time. The Knicks suck is all I've heard for the past few years. That's they, been the do. motto of this city. Yeah, but you can't even give credit to, to where credit's hold on, due. Hold on. Don't yell at me like I am. I mean, I get you're looking at a Knicks yell fan and you're going to do that. Do it. But you I are the face of all Knicks fans to I'm, me right I'm now. I'm not really happy what a about face. that because I'm, yeah. I'm about to cry because she's just going to scream at me. Uh, 
I, I've liked most of what Phil Jackson has done. I liked the Porzingis move. I was one of the people. No, who, you didn't. Yes, I Don't did. give me that. You didn't Do know we have who to he go was. To the tape? Nobody That's knew who fine, he was. But I trusted Phil. I no, trusted Phil didn't. with that pick. Nobody knew who he was. When, when he made Phil that pick. Phil Jackson was the only one who knew, and Phil Jackson liked when that he, he was the only one who knew. When he made and he that was pick, fine with that. Am I you were crying am I just like that chance? kid no, on ESPN. Oh, my God. See, here's where she's just going to say stuff, and she's just going to yell louder than me, so I can't actually defend <laughs> myself. I didn't hate it. I clearly didn't love it, but I was like, what else is he going to do at this point? Phil had to at least have done some yeah, homework. Yeah, but what else is he going to do is different than but it's, liking it. I wasn't crying like that kid, and I didn't get a picture with Porzingis, which I'm a little bit upset about. But I didn't hate it, and I wasn't pissed at Phil. And now this Derrick Rose move is awesome. It is a brilliant, no-risk, high-reward move. You, you guys, can't be upset about it. You guys bitched about the draft pick. You bitched about him going on vacation when he should have been searching for a coach. I, I didn't care. Not you. I'm saying collectively you. I know, but you're looking, you're looking you right at me, and it's so painful. You are Kyle, the face just of pretend it. your face is a picture of Frank Isola. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <There> you go. <laughs> <laughs> Who we're trying to have this podcast, and he's impossible to get. Come on, the Frankie Knicks, Ice. Yeah. Let's all, go, Frank. the, all the Knicks do is create a shitstorm for him, and he's just constantly typing away on his laptop and going on TV <laughs> to talk about the... the uh, the disasters that come out of this team. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, and he loves, loves shitting on Phil Jackson. So we would have a very animated conversation. Let's but, go, Frank. Let's go. But I, I'm just shocked how. So yeah, okay. So yesterday at the Mets game, when the acquisition happened, they put it up on the big screen, and there was mixed feelings throughout the stadium. And listen, I know not everyone who's a Mets fan There's is also some Nets a Knicks fans. fans. There. Yeah, some Nets fans, but like. Nobody really knew what to think. If I'm a Knicks fan, I am freaking out. I'm like the most excited I've been in a really, really long time because there's nothing else that really there has been to get excited about. I mean, when you texted me, because I don't have alerts for every sport on my phone, my phone would not stop lighting up. When you texted me, we're going to talk about Rose. I went, the hell is she on about? You're joking, right? Because ESPN, I was watching uh, the first match yesterday and they didn't have it on their crawl. Because I guess it wasn't technically official yet, and ESPN wasn't going to do it. Right. So then I'm just oh, on Bleacher yeah. Report, and Wait I'm like, to confirm it. I'm on Bleacher Report. I'm like, oh shit, oh my god, this is oh, I'm just like losing my shit in my yeah. room because I was like, I don't care about soccer right now. This is going to be awesome, even if it's not that awesome, like him playing wise. Because in the back of my mind, as a Knicks fan, I'm just like, game one, he's going to go out, shoot a three, come down, ACL done, and I'm just going to cry. All right, let me speak to Knicks fans for one second. Let me just try and calm down. <laughs> Great draft pick. Yeah. He knew what he was doing when he went on "quote unquote" vacation. He found a he found a coach he likes. He did. He brought one of what I think is going to be the best moves in the last decade to New York, better than Carmelo Anthony. Let's the Carmelo. We could sidebar on Carmelo because that trade was a, like I like Carmelo. Disastrous what trade. A robbery. Yeah, yeah, it was a stupid trade. Okay, and. You guys should be groveling at his feet. The guy is a genius, and all he's done is bring you gold after gold after gold, <laughs> and no, you know, no. What's it Credit? called? Yeah, you don't. You're not. You don't feel good. You don't like it. You're not giving him any of his due. Why? Why? Phil deserves it. I'll push back a little bit. Go ahead. I, I mean, I think I like the Rose move. He obviously wasn't a part of the Carmelo move. He he came in after, in part to clean up the mess that if the Knicks had just waited for the summer because Carmelo was about to be a free agent yeah. and they didn't have to trade away Danilo Gallinari and Wilson Chandler and all of the rest of the good players that they had to get him. Um, 
and, and he's had to clean up in that mess and they had no assets and he's been working with a, a very limited deck. Right. Um, I do think that he's horrible at optics at the very least. Like you don't go on vacation when you're searching in the middle of a coaching search. I understand why that would upset people. Like do you even when, especially when there's all these questions of, are you around the facility enough as is, are you doing the right things? Are you dedicated to, playing a style that doesn't work in the modern NBA despite your success with it in the past as a coach because you're not coaching. And yeah, but like, so, we, like we've said, Frank Isola is really the only one who has an issue with that. Who, uh, what, I mean, I what, think it's legitimate, though. Because what can you, you do you, in your office that that you can't do when you're in the middle of nowhere, still have Wi-Fi, and you're on your laptop? You can well, make I think phone it's calls just and still idea, make contacts. The idea of being with your brain trust and the fact that— He is maybe, his own brain trust. Well, that's, that's true. That's part of the problem. Do you have the checks and balances that you need in the organization? I mean, um, I think Dolan you know, gives oh, him— hey, hey, If Dolan of, is your checks and balances, yeah. you've got other None issues. None of us Knicks fans trust Dolan to make the right ideas. We like it when he's off. He brought, fill in. he brought fill in, though. This is my problem with you guys. Yes, Dolan's made some bad, bad mistakes. But, but he brought is, Bill Jackson to New York. But he's also Bill got Jackson Isaiah Thomas Derek lurking Rose. around in the building. No, that guy is not uh, Isaiah back. Thomas is lurking around. He's just he had, like popping up, skulking around. He has around. too many run-ins with the law. That guy is not. For as great as Phil Jackson was as a head coach, he had no track record as an executive. And so to just, to pay Phil this amount of money, it's like, can you at least just stay here and be around? Like, I, I think that frustration is on some level valid. I think functionally speaking, yeah, he can do a lot of the stuff that he needs to do in Montana or wherever he happens to be. Um, he obviously was able to get a guy in Jeff Hornacek, who I think is a pretty good coach. I mean, a couple of years ago, that Suns team was supposed to be competing with the Sixers for the bottom of the league, and they damn near made the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so he can clearly coach on some level. Um the Porzingis thing, I mean, yeah, you got to give him some level of credit. Did he luck into it a little bit? Yeah, because there's no way that, in hindsight, that Jelly Locafor should have gone over Porzingis, but those were thought to be the top three picks in the draft. Okay, but he's obviously he obviously knew about Porzingis, right? And he did his um, homework. And did I think he, he, or did he? Well, get, I think he's got I mean, connections in the league who have seen Porzingis play and I mean, knew about him and could talk I mean, to I those watched, connections. I mean, he's been in the league for a billion years. He's got 11 rings. He obviously knows. Right, and, you know, maybe he does have a special ability where he, they had Porzingis in for an interview and they, he talked to him because I think one of the things that is really tough to scout and that Phil is really good at as a coach is personality. What is a guy's personality? How does it fit into a team? And can you identify through that those conversations what kind of work ethic he has? And that's what makes Porzingis really promising for the future and, and really good already is he's willing to put in the work and, and is already, we you know, we've seen the results of what he can be with his potential. So he has this attitude and then Phil's like, yeah, that's the kind of guy that I want. Um, that said, like he also brought in Sasha Vujacic, who other, if not for Phil Jackson, cannot play in the NBA. No. Like, he's not an NBA player. No. So he, he did go back to— <laughs> He's been around a lot of talent, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he did go back to, like, okay, Sasha played for me with the Lakers, and, so, and even though he's been out of the league for three years and playing in Europe because no one else wants to give him a job, like— I'll give him a job and we'll start him. You know, he, he, he does have tendencies to hire people that he obviously is close to. With. It's Derek Fisher. Like, come on. Of he course. understands. Like, like, but giving, that's, giving, but giving, that's part of it, too. That's part of this Zen master, you know, persona that he has. Listen, if I'm a Knicks fan and you tell me I have the option of giving Phil Jackson $12 million a year and we're negotiating that he doesn't have to be in New York every single second, he can go kind of gallivanting, but he's still going to do the job and you trust him to do the job or no Phil Jackson at all. Which one are you? taking i mean at that time it would have to depend on what the other options are i i think i think the phil has been a mixed bag i think there's been definite good things the fisher thing was a disaster 
Like he had no business giving. And part of it's just like, who am I? What do I care? It's Jim Dolan's money and it's not mine. But like, why are you giving Derek Fisher a five year deal that's the same as a guy like when he just got done playing? Um, and he's clearly your second option behind Steve Kerr. And I know Kerr hadn't been a coach either, but he'd been a GM and, and he had some different experience and, and had some separation from the league, had talked to a bunch of coaches um, in his broadcasting career, as opposed to this guy, Fisher, who just gets off, you know, playing with Oklahoma City and immediately is supposed to step in and coach, you know, players that he was playing against last year. It's a different level of respect there. So, I, I mean,. And you, you really don't know what he's going to be as a coach. He's never been a part of an organization as anything but a player. So, uh, well, like, the reason there, there are things Phil has done that he definitely deserves criticism for. I think it's a mixed bag. I think to say he's been a total failure is wrong. I think to say that he's been like an un, unreproachable or unapproachable success is also not accurate. I think one of the reasons that he doesn't want to coach anymore, right? He doesn't want to travel. He's getting older. Yeah. His hips hurt. And that's definitely an issue. So instead of that, put him in the ivory tower and have him help the coach. He doesn't necessarily need to be on the floor, but he can have a huge impact. And he can also make executive decisions. To me, that's kind of the best of both worlds. Because if he's not able to travel with the team, you really don't want him on the floor. You don't want him to try and relate to these younger guys because he's not really going to be able to do it, even though he is Phil Jackson. It's just not possible. You've got these millennials coming in here. You know, all they know is, although he is really good on Twitter. That is one thing that Phil Jackson is really good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I just, I, I would love to have Phil Jackson as an exec. I would be, you know, waiting hand and foot on any sort of decision that he made. And I I find it really mind-blowing that anyone would would feel differently, especially if you're a Knicks fan. You haven't had anything. And when you see Derrick Rose and Carmelo Anthony standing next to each other with Kristaps Porzingis behind him, there's your fucking triangle. And, you know, not that it's going to work out that way, obviously, but uh, they're definitely not playing the triangle now. No, proverbial. No way. There's, but I think, your, there's your big, you know, they're not your big three, but there are three big guys that you can, you know, work with. And that's a huge upgrade from just watching Melo saunter in. You know, he's going to have someone to push him now. Yeah. And attract free agents. They got rid of, you know, cap space. He's on the last year of the, the deal, Rose, so he's probably well, going to try thing. And, it's, Yeah, it's going to force him to... Prove that he's healthy because he's auditioning yeah. for his next possibly last contract. Well, in everything his career. you've heard from Rose recently is that he really wants to turn the page from all the Chicago stuff. Yeah. They didn't really know what to do with him there, which is fair. You know, he was injured a lot, but you know, he's trying to kind of make a, a new name for himself. Well, re- real quick, one last thing on Phil, and then thoughts on Rose. Yeah. I think the setup now is better. I think now that Phil can be an executive is better than he was kind of still helping out from a coaching perspective because then there's that kind of, you know, run to the run to the other parent type thing. If you didn't like what Fisher was doing, go talk to Phil, especially if it's someone like Mello. Right. You know, go talk to Phil or, or Rambus. Everyone knew was kind of just a, a body. Right. You know, now Hornacek's the coach. And as long as Phil lets him coach, he can do the executive thing and, and be a talent evaluator and, you know, be a sounding board, obviously, in, with his basketball knowledge for Hornacek or for the players if if they desire. But it's not a runaround system. Hornacek is the coach now. So I think from that standpoint, this is better than it has been in the previous couple of years of Phil. As for Rose, yeah, he's going to have to go out and prove 
you know what he is as a player at this point. Um, he, I mean, he did after the All Star break last year, average seventeen points and four and a half assists per game, which is not bad. He shot at a decent percentage, forty six percent, thirty seven and a half from three. So, but he also only played twenty one games. So he's you know he missed a significant amount of time after the All Star break. He's got to stay healthy. They're going to have to manage his minutes. Um, and the thing is, what I like for the Knicks, if it doesn't work, who cares? Yeah. You know, it does. It is. I think to ignore the business side of it is is naive. Like, yeah, this is excitement. No, is excitement necessarily what you want? No, winning is going to create excitement. Right. And that's what you want. But it does create some excitement going into the season. It gives you and something. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. Let's go check this out. See how it is. And if it's good, sweet. If it's not, who cares? Yeah. $21 million comes off the books. That's $14 million more than would have come off the books if you don't make this deal. And then you go into the, the loaded summer of 2017 class with some free agent space and see what you can do there. By the way, I'm writing a Jimmy Fallon thank you note to Phil Jackson for getting the fuck rid of Jose Calderon because I never want to see that guy ever again. You don't want to see Melo take the ball with five seconds left on the clock and then hand it off to Calderon who just misses wide? You don't want to see that again? just turns the ball over. I got to witness his last good year in Dallas and he was, I mean, he is just the... It's something worse than a zero on defense. <laughs> Watching him just die into screens gave me nightmares. Uh, and then at least he could still shoot. And just when his shot, like, he used to have the best assist to turnover ratio in the league every year. And he just, his shot left him. He started turning the ball over. And you're just going, you're done, man. See ya. And, and then he was like, hey, what's up, New York? I'm so here. So he's going to go get $7 million to not play in Chicago this year. So good for him. Yeah, I mean, if you can ride the bench and still be a millionaire... A lot of guys are doing it, and you could be uh, right up there doing it really, really well. So let's move on to another team in New York, the New York Mets. Terry Collins took out his ace, Noah Syndergaard, uh, in yesterday's game in the sixth. He allowed three runs, and no one really thought that there was anything to question. So in the postgame press conference, no one really asked about Noah besides his performance. So after the press conference, um, one of the PR guys, Jay Horowitz, came in and reminded Terry that he had to give him a medical update. To which Terry said, the puppy dog wants me to let you guys know that Noah Syndergaard has elbow discomfort. I took him out, and he's going to go get checked. And then Terry bounces. And people were kind of like, what? What happened? How much did he know? Why didn't he tell us? And everyone was, was pretty appalled. So I have a couple things to say about this. I want to get your guys' opinion first, and then I want to give you a little bit of insight into what I know in terms of Terry and Jay's relationship because... Great. We get to go in blind while she's got the insight. That's right. Yeah, this I got seems all, yeah let's see what you guys this... think. I'll tell you you're wrong, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. <laughs> that's usually how this podcast goes, so... Well, well let me just tell you... Uh, I'm always wrong. That's Well, of course. That's the name. Why didn't we just change the name of the podcast, the Kyle's Always Wrong podcast? Because no one would have listened at that point, though. Well, let, let me ask you in terms of other post-game yeah. press conferences how it normally goes because that's not the normal that's not the norm yeah and the nba or the nfl specifically where i spent i would say more of my time i'm trying to think back i covered baseball for one summer while i was in dallas and i mean when it's obvious that a guy got hurt i mean that's the, kind of the first question that gets asked so this is kind of a weird scenario from a baseball standpoint where you don't know about an injury mm-hmm. um you know there's no meeting on the mound where the trainer comes out there's there's nothing to get asked about the nfl First, before they even open it to questions, every single Sunday or Monday or whenever the hell the game is, it's these are the injury updates. And, and I'm assuming because it's a contact sport, though, right? Well, there I mean, are it's a just lot kind more of considered injuries. standard. Well, yeah, but it's also just con- standard operating procedure. These are the injuries, or you know, like Jay Gruden would come out and be like, "No injuries." Um, even for practice, you know, we, there was three 
uh, press conferences a week after practice. Yeah. And the first thing is injury updates. Um, and then it opens up to questions and we can ask about those injuries or whatever else we want. Um, NBA, if there was an injury, same thing. Like you're going to probably know a guy's going to leave a game. Uh, it's kind of hard to, you know, to, to not know. Um, but I think what's interesting on this one, though, where if, if Terry Collins is asked about Noah Syndergaard's performance and he doesn't say something about it, like that's a mistake by Collins. At that point, if you know you have to give the injury update, you need to say it then. Well, you know, he was good. He missing his spots. It was good to start. He just, you know, wound up missing some spots. Um, actually, his elbow tightened up, uh, and we, we took him out with that, and he's getting the hospital getting checked out. And you can try to bury it in your answer that way, but then you're going to get asked about it. Um, and the thing is, if you're a manager, like the minute that announcement gets made, you're getting asked about it. Like you can run, but the writers are going to come to your office, or they're going to call you or text you or whatever. Like they're going to ask you about it anyway. So why not just address it? That's not a bad point. Yeah, that could have been addressed off the top because I'm sure somebody asked him about Noah's command or his performance, and you know Terry, I'm sure mentioned something about the weather because he loves talking about when it's really hot or when it's really cold or when it's rainy or when it's snowy or when the temperature is perfect the like, for these. Is it like you know they need to have the porridge just right in order yeah, for them to play well? They need well? to be in like climate control. It needs in to order be just to perfect, otherwise it's too hot, it's too cold. So he should he could have said something there, but he, traditionally he just sits down and they ask him questions, which I think is com- more common in baseball. I don't think Girardi yeah. does that. That, though I think Girardi sits down and says something and then they ask questions based on that but regardless he uh, he didn't say anything and then the PR director who's just trying to do his job and protect his team gets called a puppy dog and people didn't like that either to me their relationship is so close that Terry's just kidding the media all knows it because the media knows their their relationship and it was a non-issue so I was a little, you know, t- I guess because people are on the outside and they don't know the relationship between Jay and Terry that that they were a little bit taken aback and thought that Jay should have been offended. But it's kind of like a term of endearment. I don't know. It sounds weird, but it was like, you as know. As long as that's the case, then I really don't have a problem with it. I mean, right. it sounds childish to someone who didn't know that. But the thing people have to understand about a baseball like a baseball press setting is it's the same people every day. And a lot of these writers have been doing it for 10, 15, 20, 25 years covering the same beat. So they've been around longer than the managers and the players. And so there's kind of a natural fraternity that grows and there's just kind of this rapport between a baseball press corps and the manager because they talk every day, twice a day, 162 times a year. Right. So if everybody knows like, ha ha, this is funny – then who cares? And but also, you know, if if they start getting tweets or whatever about like, oh, that was a cheap shot by Terry Collins, they should probably tweet back out like, oh no, it was all in good fun. Like, don't worry about it. Right, don't make it a bigger story it. than it is. Yeah, before it gets bigger. Did you feel like you were indoctrinated into that press corps? No, when you were, at, at I, any point when I was. I mean, I could have Dallas. Well, when I came when I was on the Redskins beat last year, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we're out every day, and and I came in at the start of the season, and it was a really great group. I loved the 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 Redskins beat reporting crew. They do it's a really really talented group um, with a lot of different personalities that that a lot of them have been together for a long time, but very very welcoming, um, and that was cool, man. When I was uh, on the baseball beat uh, back in Dallas, it was my first year there. I'm 23 years old. Um, it's my, like my first like big market radio job. And I, my job was the clubhouse. Um, we were the, I worked for the flagship station, so we had the games. Okay. And so I did a post game interview, uh, with one of the players for the post game show and then just gathered sound and sent it back, whatever. And so I came in probably in April, 
Uh, yeah, no, I probably started doing that in, in like May. So and what I team were you talking about? Bit, talking about the Rangers. Okay, okay. Um, and there were like there were definitely some writers that were really nice guys that I interacted with that I enjoyed, but like some of the, like the Dallas Morning News or the Fort Worth Star Telegram, like newspaper old. It was just like the oldest, whitest, most curmudgeony group of schmucks <laughs> you've ever dealt with. Ah, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> It's just like it felt stuffy. I hated. It. I used to not sit in the press box. Like I would, I would leave the press box and go sit in the stands. Oh wow! Because it was just, it just, it felt stuffy, and it had everything to do with the people as much as it did like the climate. Did it feel like everyone was looking at you? Like, what is he doing here? Um, or I think there were times in in the clubhouse more like, what question is like, what kind of question is that? Because like I just thought about the game differently. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I remember my first time in the manager's office. Ron Washington was the manager at the time, and. I won't throw the writer specifically under the bus, but it was one of the one of the newspaper writers, and he's like, it's the pre, you know, the pregame interview in the manager's office, and he's asking him about what he could do with the lineup, and he names like six iterations of how he can move the lineup around. I'm like, you jackass, you're just trying to prove how much baseball you know, or like how well you know this team. Like, this is not like, what are you trying to manage the team for him? Right. Like, what are you doing? Ask a question. And and I feel like there's a lot of that where it's this self-importance of the baseball writer that that rubbed me the wrong way um, as to where I just I came at it from a completely different angle. Well, that makes sense for, I think, smaller markets, although that there's still a top I mean, yeah, five Dallas market. Is a, yeah. yeah, they're big. But for New York, nobody ever gets away with not asking a question. If Terry, if you say something to Terry, he will say to you, and what's the question? Like yeah. he will fire right back at you. And I find that similar to a lot of coaches, managers in New York. Uh, Maryland and D.C., not so much, but definitely here. If you don't have something that is specifically asking them what you want, they will not give you one inch. Oh, yeah, and you've got to ask pointing. I mean, the, and it's funny to me. It drives me nuts. There's there's a couple of TV reporters down in D.C. who would just be like, yeah, and this guy played great. And then, like, Gruden would, Jay Gruden would give a great answer. And you're right. like, no! That's not what, journalism! No, 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 why did my really carefully crafted pointed question get a crap answer and hey this guy's cool get that that's garbage not fair journalistic not fair so it was stuffy there yeah did you enjoy it at all yeah no i think it was cool um you develop relations i mean that's the coolest thing about being on a beat and that was kind of like a half introduction as opposed to like being doing the redskins thing last year where i was really truly on the beat every single day you develop relationships with players or coaches or whatever and those can be really, really cool. Um, you know, who was really cool in Dallas? Anyone that really? Uh, Elvis out? Andrews was my favorite player. Oh yeah, um, in 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 Dallas uh, when I was covering the Rangers. Not even close. Like I, even the the two years that I was there after, and I wasn't going every day to the ballpark. I would go out there, you know, a couple times during the summer, and I'd go say what's up to Elvis. And was he always, young? Did you guys get along that yeah, way? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty close to the same age. I think he's a little bit older than me. Um, he's just a fun dude. Like, um, and I know there's you know in New York there was a lot of talk. Is he going to be the one to replace Jeter? Obviously that didn't wind up happening yeah um but he's just a fun dude and a fun loving guy but there was also like there was a lot more there and i got and i think where i've developed my best relationships on as a reporter or when you really get a chance to know the people yeah and so like i sat down with elvis very early on and did like a 20 minute sit down interview where i really kind of got to know him and what's important and like how he goes out to clubs with his mom like (laughs) um how he learned english by listening to country music because um, it Whoa. was it was slow, cool. like the lyrics were slow enough right, they could actually right. understand it. Yeah. Um. And so he's just like this fun loving guy who I got along with really well. But he also, you know, he was a guy who stood up and 
was always accountable after games. He had just signed a big contract uh, right before I got there. And so he knew that he had to step up somewhat as, as a leader and he was going to be held responsible to be one of the faces of the organization. So um, he was always available, which obviously made it good uh, or made it made it him easily accessible, but he's just a good dude. Um, so yeah, Elvis was my favorite guy. And then I think a lot of the other guys that have had really good relationships, honestly, are guys that want to go into media afterwards. Yeah. Um, I always enjoyed talking to Barry They'll Church. They'll seek you out, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Barry Church um, is a safety for the Cowboys. Is a guy who wants to get in the media when he's done. And, and he and I, because I would talk to him about it. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, oh, okay, you know, you want to get in the media. That's cool. I'd be like, hey, man, if I can help you out with this side of it, let me know. Um, if you ever want to come on shows and get reps, like, that's cool. So, like, in, in D.C., and anybody who's listening to this from D.C. Um, will definitely immediately go, yep, I remember when he did that. Ricky John Francois came in for an hour of my show. I literally had to kick him out of the studio. <laughs> like, if it was up to him, he would have come in and did an hour with me every week or just co-hosted the show with me. Yeah. Because um, he wants to get into media, and I was one of the ones who was like, dude, you're going to have a media career when you're done. Um, you can almost tell right away. Some guys need to yeah. be groomed, but if like if they have the yeah. personality, they need to be groomed a little bit. Some yeah. guys just get it right off the bat. And Ricky's one of the guys where it's obvious. Yeah. And, and I was like, you want to go in the media when you're done? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, you'd be awesome at it. He's like, oh, then yeah. Um, so like, Ricky was a guy that I had a great relationship with. Um so th- those relationships are fun. Um, and it's then, awesome and then, that you were able to do that though early on in your career. Because when I first started, and I heard that any athlete wanted to be in the same doing the same thing I was doing, I wanted to be like, "Go do your own job. Do not come do my job. I'm trying to get my own job. I don't <laughs> yeah. need you trying to take my job." And that's how I felt. And I feel differently now, obviously. But at 23, that's pretty cool that that you were you know willing to yeah, be I open was, with I these mean, guys. Yeah, that was probably more as I got a little bit older. You know, not. I'm still only 26 now, but right. you know, um, I, I guess you're just, I look at it like I got like CJ McCollum. I saw him yesterday at the Nash, um, foundation. I told him, I was like, dude, you're crushing this stuff. And, and it, make, it pisses me off, frankly, cause you're that good at it. He's like, well, I went to school for journalism. So like that one makes sense. Right. Most of these guys, like they're going to be analysts. Like Ricky John Francois is going to be an analyst or it could be like a co-host on a radio show. He couldn't drive a radio show. Right. And, and to me, that's where like. People like us who have this formal training still Don't have Kyle. a Kyle. Kyle has zero formal I'm training. No formal training. It up as he's, I a, go. he's a graphic right. designer. So I'm going to look straight at Alexa. <laughs> kind of a producer. <laughs> Those of us over here on this side of the table that have formal <laughs> training and skills, uh, no, we, uh, you know, we, we, there, there are still things, positions in this industry where we are needed, and and the best producers realize that or the best content creators on the production side realize that yeah that the ability to drive a show is still really important and, and you know we see it in in the best of best shows in the industry you know a guy like you know we, we think of inside the nba is like oh it's chuck and kenny and Shaq, but like that show doesn't work without ernie johnson of course yeah so, he pulls it know, all together if, if as long as you're confident that you can do that part of this then I, I i'm not intimidated by an athlete who wants to get into this because thing is we can learn a lot from them too or coaches whatever that we can learn a lot from them and i think that's another area where you know you develop these relationships is if you make i don't think enough people in our industry make an effort to learn the games right it's like oh i'm a fan and i'm gonna give my fan opinion well then why should you have a microphone versus being a caller on on a show right like it's just calling in like to me I, i have an expectation of my media personalities to know more about the game than the fans like you need to do more so um, I got really lucky in DC that I got to work with Chris Cooley and learn so let's, let's talk a ton about, about that. football. So you were in Dallas covering the Cowgirls. Yeah. 
I mean, Cowboys. <laughs> That's and fine. And then you come to D.C. What brings you to D.C.? Job opening? You're just like, I'll yeah, take it? Yeah, it was a uh-huh. job. Um, uh, I was offered the Redskins beat reporter position with their flagship station, ESPN 980. And so you went from ESPN, right? So still yeah, ESPN. Yeah. And did you have any sort of hesitation moving from um, Dallas to D.C.? A little bit. It's something that I can't, as much as this sucks for the listeners, I can't really talk about the hesitation that much. Um, because of cer- certain things and how the job wound up playing out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a little bit. But in the end, I mean, I knew it was a better job. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll leave it at that. Okay. And then you get to D.C. and it was fun, great, less stuffy yeah. than what you had experienced in Dallas. Did you feel overall like this is better? That I like what I'm doing here. I like oh, the team. Yeah. I'm getting along with everyone. Yeah. I mean, it was a much more high profile. Now, I will say like Dallas wasn't stuffy outside of the baseball press box. Like okay. I love covering the Cowboys and the Mavericks who I actually wanted most of my time. Like if you ask people in Dallas who remember me, if you can find someone um, like what they would remember, <laughs> it'd be the basketball coverage. And okay. the Mavericks were awesome. I loved covering the Mavericks. Yeah. It was a great group that. Well, I'm a Wizards them. fan. So all my entire roster went to the Mavs. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny to go back and look at like, rosters from like 2012 and it's like that's not that long ago except for everyone was in a different place it's unbelievable how quickly Um, the rosters move by now but anyway you know yeah i I think it was a much more high profile and the intensity which you obviously know as a redskins fan the intensity of redskins fans is insane and that was so it was so rewarding (laughs) to do a job where you felt like people cared about what you were doing yeah and so you write one article on like one specific thing and then it's like what about this what about this and it's just a very intelligent or I, I don't like yeah I would say intelligence fair like I, I, there were definitely just as any fan base like there are fans who don't know what the hell they're talking about yeah. but it was a very inquisitive fan base and they knew enough to ask smart questions mm-hmm. and that's all like I ever wanted out of a fan base was can you ask smart questions where I can then you know oh yeah I'm gonna go find that out because that's interesting to me too and it kind of helps you as a reporter do your job any specific athletes stick out to you in DC tell me about somebody that's awesome please but um, I root for, and that's so great. She just wants to hear that RG three is the coolest. Then you have no, I know. I mean, I, I Excuse loved, me, I know RG three. Yeah, Kyle, I know, shut I know. up. I say I, I loved talking to Robert. I never got to really talk to him on the record because we weren't allowed to. But I yeah. liked I liked talking to Robert. He was yeah, he's great. Um, any my favorite? Any I mean, like Alfred, under the radar guys. Alfred yeah. was great. I I was the only one who got an interview with him last year, so that was kind of cool. Oh, um, congrats, that's awesome. Yeah, Will Blackman was a favorite. Um, he's a guy who's back with, with the Redskins this year. Um, mm-hmm. Just a veteran who's been around. And like th- those guys are always fun because they just have a, a unique perspective on uh, what's going on and, and place, you know, based on their previous experience. And, and so it was kind of cool because that team was so unexpectedly good. Mm-hmm. And so to hear guys, whether it was Ricky John Francois, I would come in and had been on the 49ers Super Bowl team or Deshaun Goldson, who had been out with them. Will was on the Giants Super Bowl team and has been around a bunch of successful teams. He actually spent training camp last year with the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And so like to hear these guys come in and be like, yeah, we got what it takes here. It's like, Oh wow, this this isn't a joke. Like these guys actually I mean, I know they started slow, but as they started to win, uh-huh. I was like, Okay, this isn't fake. Like this is something that could actually develop, which was kinda cool. And, you know, as you're you're trying to figure out what Kirk Cousins is as a quarterback, like people are you know, people are going like, Yeah, no, he's good. And they've been around the league enough that you know they're not blowing smoke because right. you know, when you turn the microphones off and the recorders off, it wasn't like and I don't know. It's no, like we believe in Kirk, like that's the dude. And so that was, that was kind of cool from a lot of the veterans around that locker room um, to, to really hear that as we went. 
How about Doc or Cooley or or Cooley's my guy. Yeah, like I mean, I I love everyone that I worked with on the on air staff. Honestly, I can say that like there was nobody that I worked with that I didn't enjoy working with. But Cooley and I had a, a particularly special relationship, and we still are friends. Like I'll go to his house his house for dinner. Um, and, like so we're legitimately. Can you like still kick him friends. in the shin for me, just like a little like. Wait, what's what's your? No, did you have a I good mean, I like. Story? I, no, I just come on. Like, everyone's got a good Cooley story. I like Cooley. He just. I don't really have a good story. I, uh. He just kind of annoys me sometimes. I like him in general, but I, yeah. I, I I can get a lot of Cooley, and it's just a little too much. Yeah, you know, he's he's all over the place. Yeah. Um, now, Chris, Chris and I had a special relationship though because um, one of the the big things that I did. So for those that that don't know, Chris does a weekly film breakdown where he sits down and watches the all twenty two tape and he grades every single player and. About midway through the season, he's he. We are actually at Redskins Park. We have we had a studio there, and he's walk with me. So we walk down to the cafeteria, and he's going to get a sandwich. And he's like, "What do you think about if we we put up an online version of the film?" And I was like, "I've been wanting to do that all season." Yeah, yes. Tell me what you want. And so as we started doing it, and I would go to his house um, once a week, and we we I'd get to watch the film with him. So I learned a ton about the X's and O's mm-hmm. and it was funny because then I would sometimes turn that into questions at press conferences and Jay would get a little pissed because <laughs> um, he's like I don't want to have to answer that like I would get him in corners it was bad um, but or like you'd ask a player like on this play and it's like you could they could just give you this look like damn it I can't lie to you because you already know the answer right um, <laughs> or like you know you gave me two options and they're both not great and they're right um, so I got to learn a ton, and then we turn those, you know, we take specific plays that were key plays in the game and take still shots and put them up on, on the website, and we go through and, you know, diagram the plays. Like, this is what happened on this play, because I think what it turned into for me was a lesson in what I didn't know. Like, mm-hmm. you don't, it was one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. Right. There's so much that happens on a given play, and unless you know what was supposed to happen, it is impossible possible to evaluate and the average fan just frankly doesn't right i didn't and still in large part don't there are certain things where i can look at and go okay that was probably supposed to happen um because I, I my base level of knowledge is so much higher than it was a year ago yeah um and that all is thanks to chris um but i think that knowledge then helped develop some more of those relationships especially with like sean mcveigh the offensive coordinator and i had a great or have a great relationship um because he knew that i was put in the work and there was just kind of a mutual respect where okay i know you're trying to understand what we're doing and i think it's an interesting football topic in general like i think part of the reason football coaches and players get so frustrated is because most people don't know what's supposed to go on but they're also very protective of what's supposed to go on so there's this there's this education gap that is in large part their fault Mm -hmm. like if they were more open with what's supposed to happen i think we as fans could understand the game a lot better i don't know if that at all answered whatever question you you asked originally but that was like six (laughs) tangents later i'll stop talking (laughs) So Dallas, DC, what's next? Do we have something on the agenda? Do we have Not, a, a goal to I shoot wish, for? I wish. I feel like the tradition of this podcast is to come in and break news. I was trying to, you know, follow in Victor Cruz's footsteps. <laughs> of course, no one would care what my breaking news was, as opposed to Victor's. Everyone would care. People um, who listen to this podcast care very much. I would have been it's just as excited caring. if it's a, it's you had a, some very, breaking news. The three very listeners we have audience. are very yeah, supportive. Um, I don't. I don't know yet. I mean, right now the the, the website's been really cool. Um, I wish you know that I had a big enough brand, bluntly, to to where I could have sponsors coming at me and make money. And I mean, how cool is it? And you know, obviously, you're doing it too. Like to have something that's yours and it's mm-hmm. completely creatively yours. And 
you know, for the website, I invested time in it. Um, you know, I bought the domain. It's my money. Like I literally, I invested time and money into, yeah. into this website where I write and I do podcasts and it's really cool. Cause it's, it's what I think is important. Mm-hmm. Like in media, you need to care about your audience. Um, but I think, you know, for this, like the audience changes, I'm not catering to Redskins fans or Dallas Mavericks fans or Cowboys fans or whatever fans like what I find interesting. And if yeah. you find it interesting too, come on, click. If not, then I understand. Yeah. And so that's been really fun, but so is making money. So right. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to get something. You know, there's a couple jobs floating out there that I'm interested in and have talked to people about, but unfortunately nothing to report as of quite yet. That's the business though. I yep. mean, you it's go hard. through the ebbs and flows. Yeah. I'm a freelancer and uh, you know, you have three jobs one minute and then you've got six jobs one minute and then you've got one job one minute and then you've got no jobs you know it just goes it's the ebbs and flows that's kind of how it works out but you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing which is you know staying on top of your game blogging podcasting keeping yourself super sharp so if someone picks up the phone and and you know this i know you do but if someone picks up the phone tomorrow and goes hey how do you feel about jumping right back on the radio there's zero rust you're ready to go and the other thing too is you're not wasting time not getting better and that was, and you're improving, of course. Yeah, I and mean, that—that's the biggest thing is if you're not finding a way to stay active, like the reps are the most important thing if you're young. Totally. Um, and so it, for me, it's a chance, and it was actually really interesting. I was talking with uh, my Damon Mendelar, who does nights at CBS Sports Radio. Yep. And Big smile. A, yes. Yeah. I love, and he's a guy who's been a mentor for me for a long time. Syracuse connection. Yeah, all that. I've heard good things. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's the best. And he's like, well, why don't you do instead of a podcast? Like, you know, I I love like a podcast in this style where we just sit down and we talk about whatever we want. There's no real regiment. To it but he's like for you why don't you do it in a radio format so like when i had you on my show a couple weeks ago it was like okay we're gonna do like a a 12 minute interview and get in and out and be done yeah uh, because it's it's essentially me getting radio reps in podcast form of course um there are times i break from that like nba finals morning after i was like all right i called my buddy kevin who's kind of my guy my, my basketball best friend it's like yo we're, we're doing a podcast and we're just going to unload. Well, and I we think it's important talking. to have both, you know? Yeah. yeah to have the, but the then again, if I was freedom. doing a radio show Monday morning, all that would have been was the same exact thing with breaks in between. All right, we'll right. talk about this thing next. And right. I would have exhausted my thoughts on something and then broke and then went to the next thing because there was just so much to talk about. Um, but yeah, I try to keep it, you know, to think of it as, as a, an hour radio show that I do four segments of and... I guess it's working. Yeah, so it's far. great. I had a blast. I had a, a lot of fun. Thank and you. yeah, I uh, I always have fun talking about the Mets, of course. And then you asked me a philosophical question and I went down a rabbit hole. And so uh, <laughs> we're going to avoid know. that now. Yeah. So, okay. We end every podcast with an embarrassing story. Craig, oh, yep. what do you got for us? So I, first of all, I hate being embarrassed. So I, I was yes. very, very nervous for this part of the podcast, but I actually had a good one recently. Um, I'll tell you the punchline first and I'll explain what happened. Uh, I got pulled over for going too slow. <laughs> That's kind of hard to do. That's amazing. Yep. Oh my god. So how slow were you going? So here, I'll I'll tell you the story. Why were you going? It still it still kind of pisses me off how it all went down. So, um, so recently went on vacation. Um, My girlfriend's brother goes to Tulane. Okay. And so he had to actually wind up here he was going on birthright to israel Mm -hmm. and so he needed a way to get his car back from new orleans to dc and so her parents were like look and her birthday was coming up she was like we'll send you to new orleans but you have to drive mikey's car back okay i was like sweet (laughs) (laughs) i'm down um and so we were driving you know we get have fun in new orleans we come to drive back and i'm driving and so i'm driving not my car 
And this better be like a Lamborghini or something. No, no, no really it, was, it was a Jeep Renegade. But, <laughs> oh, oh, was, no, it had to be really embarrassing. Yeah, I got pulled go, pulled for going too slow in a Lambo. I, oh, I meant something like, like you're trying to protect as like a beautiful, no, no, gorgeous, but, like, like I don't want to get awesome pulled over in, or something. Yeah, no, I don't want to get pulled over in not my car. Okay. And so we crossed from Louisiana in Alabama, and as we crossed, there's a, a like a Border Patrol car, and so I slow down a little bit because I have no idea what the speed limit is. Like I'm driving in a part of the country that I'm incredibly unfamiliar with, as yeah. I've never been there before. And so I slow down a little bit. At this point, I'm going like 60, though. And I figure, like, that's safe as long as the speed limit's like, you know, 60, 65. Even if it's 55, like, I'm straight. Right. Um, and then so, like, another half mile up the road, there's another police car. And I'm like, I slow down maybe a little bit more, but I'm still hovering right around 60. And so then in my rearview mirror, I see the cop car, the second one, but no lights on or anything. So I, I start to slow down a little bit as he's getting ready to pass me. And... Um, you know, I'm in the right lane. That way I can let the cop pass on my left, which is, I feel like is very normal human behavior. Totally. And he just like wouldn't pass me. So I kept slowing down, slowing <laughs> down, like trying to just get this cop to pass me. And then eventually like, I'm, and I'm thinking like, if this is 55, like I don't want to get pulled over. How slow are you going at this point? So at this point I got down to like 52 or something like that. Oh, so okay. it was like I was going 35 on the highway, but uh-huh. I was still going like 50, 52. Uh-huh. And this cop would not freaking <laughs> pass me. And so, as soon as I got down to, like, 50, he lights on, he pulls me over, and I'm like, oh, Oh, shit. amazing. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, he's like, ask me for license registration, ask me to get out of the car. Oh, and so, shit. he, like, pulls car? me. And then, like, the Border Patrol guy comes up, too. And so, now there's two of them. And my girlfriend's in the passenger seat. And so, they separate us. And so, like, I'm now in the back of the car talking to the cop. The Border Patrol guy talks to girlfriend. They then switch. So, apparently, they were getting our stories and comparing them to make sure we were on the same page. And then eventually, Yo, they, like they Bonnie pull me Clyde, back. look at this, outlaws. Yeah, like eventually <laughs> they pull me back around, and you know he's asking like, "Why are you going so slow?" It's like because I don't know what the bleeping speed limit is. <laughs> like this is not my car; it's her, it's her brother's car. Like I'm just trying to get home, bro. <laughs> and you know, eventually, so we get back in the car, and he's like, "You know, I asked your girlfriend if you, I should give you a ticket, and she said no." I was like, "Well, that's what she's good for, I guess." <laughs> and that line really went over well. And wound up getting nothing, but he's like, yeah, we pulled you over because uh, the license plate cover was covering the license plate. And I was like, it's not my car, man. Like, And that's also bullshit. You pulled me over because you felt like it. And you were bored because there's no other cars on the road. Had, oh there, had, be, had there been, then I could have just went in the flow of traffic. But no. <laughs> All of America left me to my own devices, and I failed. Wow, that's, that's my, pretty embarrassing, dude. And like, was, did, so, uh, what did you go back to? What, is, is her brother here, or is he on birthright? Or is he still? Yeah, he he went to Israel and came back, and he's he's actually here in New York City. Did you talk to him yet? Yeah, no, I did told him. him. We yeah. told him the whole like, story. You moron, you yeah. nerd. <laughs> yeah, oh, you God. made me look bad. <laughs> but it just, but then like, my girlfriend was just relentless about it. She's like, "Oh, we have to call your mom." Like, oh. God, like, no, I don't want to tell anybody this. This is embarrassing. And then I just said it on a podcast. Well, so, of course, we that's are. what you do. Embarrassing stories. We'll right. be sure to clip this off, too, and post, like, just a little snippet. Just the embarrassing story <laughs> yeah. part. Yeah, highlight so, that. Do, do you have a good European embarrassing story? Um... Like some some like a silly American thing? Yeah, like, either a silly American or, like, a language snafu, or did you have another one in mind? All right. This wasn't necessarily embarrassing, but it was a good story from uh, from our trip. So... We um, went to Amsterdam mm-hmm. and picked up some fun goodies that you have in Amsterdam. Sure. And we got on the boat, and on the boat, we met these 80-year-old women who were like, hey, you should go to the red light district. And my aunt and I were like, okay, cool. So we you know, hung out, partook in some goodies, 
and then went to the red light district. And <laughs> when we got there, I'm looking around. I'm not really sure exactly where we are. So I walk into a bar and I say to the bartender, I'm like, this is so stupid, but I have to ask you, where's the red light district? And she was like, you're in it. You're here. That's it. It's the, look around you. This is the red light district. But she was like, for what you're really looking for, which is the hot women that are dressed up in lingerie, go down the alleyways. And every single alleyway you go down, the narrower, the better. And we were like, oh, yeah, okay, here we go. <laughs> so my aunt and I, you know, we're, we're trucking along, and we turn down this small, narrow alley. And the first thing we see is three windows with three beautiful women dressed up in lingerie. My aunt takes one look at the window, and she looks at me, and she goes, nope, we're out of here. So we turn around and leave and literally get on the ship and leave Amsterdam. And that was it. Like, <laughs> bye, Amsterdam. See ya. And so we did were, your aunt we were not gone. know what the red light district was? I think she knew, but I think, you know, her head was a little fuzzy. And I think that it was kind of shocking. She said when we were on the boat, she was like, you know, when we bumped into the 80-year-old women and they were like, you know, how did it go? She was like, it was weird because they looked like Barbie dolls, like in their little glass cases. And it was kind of like a, you know, she, I guess she wanted them to look seedier because they were prostitutes. I don't know exactly what she thought that was going to happen, but it was just funny that she, on a dime, was like, nope, I'm done. That's it. It's over. We're That's out. That's pretty good. That's so, pretty, pretty solid fun. story to... to... We, did, we did some really uh, awesome things. Craig, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Fans, you if you want to follow him, follow him on Twitter, at Craig Hoffman, or download and listen to the Hoffman Show podcast. Yeah, on HoffmanShow.com. HoffmanShow.com. iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, yep. But All direct, there. but you want people to go to the website. Yeah, the website. Give me, give me double clicks there, nice and easy. Hoffmanshow.com. Uh, plus, I, I write more often than I'm podcasting. Oh, so okay, there's, great. There's definitely stuff there. Um, yesterday I was at the Steve Nash charity showdown in Chinatown, which was cool. Got some cool co- quotes from Nash on Derek Rose and some stuff from Bismack Biombo on his free agency. So you never know what's going to show up on there. Perfect. Well, if you're a Knicks fan, you'll love that. Greg, thank you. Good luck with everything. Appreciate thank you. it. Joey, thank you. Kyle, thank you. And let's go get a snack.